Michael, fall is officially in swing. The leaves are all sorts of beautiful colors. The NFL season's about a third of the way through. It's pretty much pumpkin spice everything, everywhere you turn. Uh, There is even a full-size Michael Myers statue terrifying my neighborhood standing on my porch right now. All right. I mean, that all sounds like peak fall. So uh, right down to the Michael Myers statue. That's actually pretty crazy. (laughs) You know that, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's what my wife says, too. But anyway, there is something missing from all of this uh, during this fall season. Can you guess what it is? Um, I don't know. You you pretty much hit on all the quintessential fall things right there. All right. Well, not all of them, at least for me. I personally am a little bummed that some of my favorite Mm. TV shows, they're, they're not back. Like Law & Order SVU and Cobra Kai. I mean, these are shows that... I was looking forward to enjoying right about now, but they're nowhere to be found. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, there there have been the strikes, right? The 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 writer strikes going on the last few months uh, within Hollywood, the Writers Guild of America, and now the Screen Actors Guild. They are both striking against Hollywood execs, and yeah, it's it's definitely caused some delays in the release of television shows and even movies. Yeah, I wish it wasn't the case, although not saying that the writers and actors don't have valid points to strike. It's a complicated issue. And in fact, many of the points that they're making, it actually involves the world of tech. And so I thought it'd be worthwhile to dig into all of this here in today's episode on Rocket Ship. Yeah, let's do it. We'll get into it right after we roll the intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, where your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. But first, let's pause to hear from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. 
Visit HackerOne.com slash AI-Safety-Security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI-Safety-Security. Okay, so you're just not getting your fill of Detective Benson and her partner, Elliot Stabler. Is that is that right, Mike? <laughs> On an entirely different show, Michael, that's Law & Order Organized Crime. Anyway... <laughs> He does sometimes make cameos on SVU, but but yeah, you got to get your character straight, Michael. Okay, sorry, sorry, my bad. <laughs> no, in all, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of my go-to shows, and uh, yeah, I, I wish those shows were back. There's other ones that should be out right now, but aren't like Yellowstone and, and Euphoria, all sorts of others. Um, but yeah, Hollywood, through its Writers Guild of America and Screen Actors Guild, they voiced their concerns in the past to studio execs. And earlier this summer, something monumental with the Writers Guild of America. Uh, and in fact, let's cut to the segment from Wall Street Journal covering what happened. And you'll hear from members of the WGA explaining what led them to take this drastic step. No contract, no peace. For the first time in 15 years, more than 11,000 movie and television writers in Hollywood's Writers Guild went on strike. This is absolutely an existential moment for the writing profession. We want to ensure that working on The Handmaid's Tale isn't the last good job that any of us has. The decision brought productions to a halt and dealt a blow to an industry that's been rocked by the pandemic and the new ways people watch movies and television. The new way people watch movies and television. Yeah, you could imagine what they're getting at here, right? Decades ago, people watched TV shows on their TVs at home. Today... It's a little different. You might start watching that television show on your TV, in your living room or bedroom. Then you transition to watching it on your iPad when you're running on the treadmill. Or maybe there are some shows that you are only watching on your smartphone while you're on your commute using apps like Netflix, Hulu, Max, and others. Basically, things have changed pretty dramatically in terms of the ways that people consume entertainment content and where that content's actually available. Yet, some within the Writers Guild of America, they felt these changes weren't reflected in their contracts. Let's get back to that Wall Street Journal segment and dig in more. Alan Chang is a showrunner on the Hulu series The Handmaid's Tale. Blessed be the fruit. She's also a member of the Writers Guild's negotiating committee. She was in the room when negotiations with the studios came to a head. The companies came back refusing to engage with us on our core existential issues. The AMPTP did not respond to requests for comment about Chang's gaslighting accusations, but studio executives say every effort was made to engage in meaningful discussions and bargaining. Many of the issues dividing the two sides are tied to the ways streaming has completely transformed the industry. As the studios moved towards the streaming model, it was an arms race. Justin Halburn is a board member for the Writers Guild, as well as a showrunner and writer for the ABC sitcom Abbott Elementary. I've been teaching here at Abbott Elementary for a year now. The staff here is incredible. Everybody was trying to amass the most amount of content, as many shows as they could possibly kind of pump out to compete with all the other streaming services. Then suddenly the orders of shows became much smaller. The amount of weeks that they were asking writers to work also became much smaller. In a network television show like Abbott Elementary, a writer typically has enough work to support themselves for an entire year. Because we make 22 episodes of Abbott Elementary, our writers are able to make a good living and live in Los Angeles. We should not be the anomaly. But in the new world of streaming, episode orders have declined to eight 
or 12. And unlike network shows, many stream shows don't go into production until most of the scripts are completely mapped out. There's this thing called mini rooms, which have taken over Hollywood, and it's the studios deciding, hey, we're gonna put together a room of writers, but you're not producing the show, you're just like writing some scripts and breaking out the season, all of the hardest stuff there is to do in writing. And because you're not producing, we're not gonna pay you the producing fee, we're gonna pay you the minimum, which is the least amount of money they can legally pay us. In response to the WGA's concerns, the studios agreed to increase minimum rates for writers working in those types of development rooms. Still, writers say this new production model has made screenwriting more like a gig economy job. Between seasons one and two, we had a writer who had to drive an Uber. Most shows, you'll have a writer who gets a 10-week gig or a 12-week gig, and that could be it for the whole year. That could be it for 18 months. And a writer simply can't. So there's now more demand for content coming from streaming platforms. But those platforms require a shorter season when it comes to television shows, which means less work for the writers and more uncertainty in between seasons as they end up needing to find more work more often than the, you know, classic episodic content that television used to produce on cable networks and network TV. And that wasn't the only thing that was part of the crux in this writer's strike. Here's Warren Light, the playwriter and screenwriter, in a segment from Vox that goes deeper into how this new streaming-first approach to creating entertainment video content has hurt the writers. And it has to do with residuals, the money that gets paid when content that was already created gets consumed later on. When a television show, say they get syndicated, or maybe they get signed to a new streaming platform. Residuals, which are how actors and writers tie themselves over during lean times, have basically been decimated. When TV first began, there was a big strike in 1960, and that strike resulted in writers getting residuals. The reason my network residual is so healthy is because that was negotiated a long time ago when that was the only other way an episode could be rewatched. If you wrote for Friends or Seinfeld, these shows that are on all the time. Every single time it's used, you get a check. The number of runs your show has, the size of the check decreases. The show is generating income for NBC Universal, and so you will see some of that income. Now streaming comes in and there's a terrible formula based on a percentage of the sale from the studio to the streamer. So it sits on the platform for a year and you get one check no matter how many times it's watched. If you write a show for Hulu, it's a, you get paid to write it and you might see $400 for the next three years, as opposed to a network rerun, which might be, for an hour show, might be $24,000. Okay, let that sink in for a minute. If a show is syndicated, take, you know, one of those classic TV shows like Seinfeld or The Office, which, I don't know, for me, it always seems like they're on some random TV channel every time I'm switching through channels. A writer from one of those shows, they might make say $24,000 over the course of three years in the form of a residual check. But on a streaming platform, even if it's the most watched show on the platform, it wouldn't be unheard of for that writer to make maybe just a few hundred dollars in a three-year span. Which is basically nothing. I mean, that's less than $12 a month, which couldn't even get you an ad-free subscription to Hulu. Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, it's Kind of hard to wonder why the writers went on strike, right? But they weren't the only ones in Hollywood to go on strike. And the streaming platforms like Netflix and Hulu weren't the only ones in tech at the center of these strikes. More on all of that after a quick break. 
Before the break, we learned a bit about the screenwriters and their case against Hollywood, which led them to go on strike earlier this summer. But they weren't the only ones in Hollywood to strike. The Writers Guild had support from the Screen Actors Guild. And just like you can't make a television show or movie without writers, well, you can't make them without actors either. So here's more on the actors and their dive into the strike, which started midsummer. Okay. I guess we have a... Okay. Good, after, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Duncan Crabtree Ireland, National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator for SAG-AFTRA. Yesterday, our union celebrated the 90th anniversary of the incorporation of Screen Actors Guild. During our nearly century-long existence, we've fought for and achieved countless gains for working actors. Today, we embark on a new important chapter in our union's history. Earlier this morning, the SAG-AFTRA National Board convened following four weeks of negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, the AMPTP. Because the AMPTP remains unwilling to offer a fair deal on key issues essential to protecting the livelihoods of working actors and performers, SAG-AFTRA's National Board unanimously voted to issue a strike order against the studios and streamers. From the time negotiations began on June 7th, SAG-AFTRA staff and the members of our negotiating committee have worked overtime, devoting their evenings, weekends, and holidays to achieving a deal that would ensure a sustainable future for the acting profession. But despite our team's efforts, the MPTP has remained steadfast in its commitment to devaluing the work of our members. Actors deserve a contract that reflects the changes that have taken place in the industry. Unfortunately, the current streaming model has undercut performers' residual income and high inflation has further reduced our members' ability to make ends meet. Additionally, industry expectations around self-tape auditions mean performers are bearing casting costs that were once the responsibility of producers. To complicate matters further, actors now face an existential threat to their livelihoods with the rise of generative AI technology. Okay, we should probably hold up right there because did you hear what I just heard? Uh, Yeah, I sure did. A big part of the Screen Actor Guild's platform is their beef with AI, artificial intelligence, and how it might affect the Hollywood business model. And just how does AI affect the Hollywood business model? Well, let's cut to Jonathan Vigliotti. Now, he's reporting for CBS Evening News in this segment that they put together called The Age of AI. At the age of 80, Harrison Ford is starring as Indiana Jones, both old and young. Audiences could soon see a new performance by James Dean, who died in 1955. And an upcoming film will feature Tom Hanks and Robin Wright as they appeared in Forrest Gump nearly 30 years ago. I'm going to show you some magic. This man became famous as a young Tom Cruise, a makeover from the AI company Metaphysic. You know, I do all my own stunts, obviously. It is now immortalizing actors through image capture like this to appear in future films without ever being on set. Now, obviously, you can't see what they're referring to here because, well, this is a podcast, right? But imagine a person sitting in a room and they're completely surrounded by cameras and flashing lights just 360 degrees around them. It's not too different from how you see video game companies capturing motions from real people when they're designing, say, sports games like, you know, NBA 2K or something like that. Well, this time, I guess it's being used to create the likeness of real people alive or, as we heard, even dead in new films. 
back to the CBS Evening News segment. We'll hear from Tom Graham, the CEO of Metaphysic, the company behind some of these AI-enhanced opportunities. There is a move now from many people to preserve their likeness that in the future could be used to create their performance. This is going to be a core asset for every performer. But how that likeness is preserved, who has access to it, and who cashes in on it are key concerns of SAG-AFTRA, the union that represents actors. Now, prior to the actual strike, the Screen Actors Guild said that they weren't necessarily against AI in whole. Here's Duncan Crabtree Ireland, the chief negotiator for the Guild, in the CBS Evening News segment. We're not anti-AI. It is okay for performers, likeness, image voice to be digitally modeled and captured, provided they know exactly what it's going to be used for and see that there are appropriate safeguards in place to make sure that that data is not made available beyond its intended use. But those safeguards today, they don't really exist. And that's one of the reasons that the Screen Actors Guild ultimately joined the writers and went on strike. Right. For instance, if a movie studio wanted to go ahead and use somebody else's image and likeness through the use of artificial intelligence today, they technically could. Like in the new Indiana Jones movie. Right. Well, in that case, actually, they had Harrison Ford's permission to use his likeness as a younger version mm. of himself. Right. So so that's fine. But they have another concern. Here's Will Carr from ABC News in a segment with more here. The concern is actors' likenesses being used without their permission. Uh, sag after came out yesterday and they said that one of the big issues with this strike is when it comes to background actors, the actors who are walking in the street behind the characters that you love, the actors who are dining in the restaurants behind the characters you love, the actors who make less than $200 a day working 16 to 18 hours. sag after says the proposal was that background actors would work one day, have their likeness scanned, and then after that, their likeness could be used forever. They say that is a non-starter. Take a listen to what the president of SAG-AFTRA, Fran Drescher, had to say. Wait, Fran Drescher, like the nanny Fran Drescher? Yeah, it's the same one, but she's also the national president <laughs> of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, or SAG-AFTRA, you might hear that phrase. A anyway, back to that very same Fran Drescher. What's historic about it is that we were really so marginalized, so dishonored, and so respect disrespected that at a moment when um, streaming and AI and digital is so prevalent in the industry, it has disemboweled the industry that we once knew when I do, did the nanny and everybody was part of the gravy train. Now it's a walled in vacuum. Those are very strong words and a very strong position against the studios here. So this was all happening throughout the summer, but where do things stand today? And what else can we expect when it comes to streaming, AI, and even other technologies getting involved in this Hollywood battle? More on all of that after another break. Before the break, we were learning about the Writers Guild of America and the Screen Actors Guild, both going on strike against the Hollywood studios. With the business model of streaming services and the use of artificial intelligence being two factors that were right smack in the middle of their platform. But there is progress being made. About a month ago, 
the Writers Guild of America, they ended their 150-day-long strike with the Hollywood Studios. Here's a segment from CBS News with more. Well, the Writers Guild of America is officially back to work as of 12.01 this morning. That's right. Union leaders approved of a three-year deal yesterday, ending what's been five months of strikes. The writers are allowed to return to work despite the ongoing ratification process. The deal reportedly includes pay raises, streaming-related bonuses, and growing protections from artificial intelligence. Elaine Lowe is a staff writer at The Ankler, a media company that is focused on Hollywood and the entertainment industry. Good to have you with us, Elaine. So tell us, what do we know about the deal and what it entails so far? So there's a whole host of things that the writers managed to win in this deal. And some of the highlights include minimum staffing sizes, which means there's supposed to be a certain number of TV writers in a room on a given show, uh, something called success-based residuals, uh, which means that in addition to streaming residuals, if a show is a huge hit on a streaming service, writers will see a bonus based on viewership there, uh, as well as some data transparency and, uh, and of course, AI protections, which is notable because that's something that these studios, according to the Guild, didn't initially want to engage the writers on, but ultimately came around and offered a series of uh, different protections for writers, uh, given this uh, you know, emerging technology. So the writers got the concessions that they were looking for, a bigger piece of the pie, residual bonuses when it comes to streaming, protections against AI, and now our favorite television shows and movies, they're gonna come right back to life, right? Well, not so fast. The writers may have struck a deal with the studios, but the Screen Actors Guild, they have not come to an agreement quite yet. So mm. while some television shows are coming back, pretty much the, you know, late night talk shows and, uh, you know, shows like that, the sitcoms and dramas that we love to binge, those are still on hold. And those talks, well, generally, they've been on again, off again, still debating the same topics that started the halt in the first place, I assume. Right. So the question is, where do we go from here? Well, the implications of technology on Hollywood just go beyond today's disputes. As tech evolves, so do the challenges and opportunities it presents to both creators and actors. Yeah, that's true. I mean, one could argue that while streaming services and AI have disrupted the industry, this is all just the beginning. I mean, it's totally possible that entirely generated by AI characters or movies, I mean, that could be possible in the future. I mean, these innovations might not only challenge the role of actors, but even like directors, producers. Yeah, we're not just talking about someone using someone's likeness via AI. We're talking about creating entirely new likenesses, potentially. Yeah, it's like when you have a dream and there's people in your dream and they're not real people, <laughs> you know, like who knows where those people came from? Well, imagine watching a movie where the main characters, the actors portraying them aren't real people. Like they're just AI generated characters, essentially. And honestly, like, a couple years ago, I would have thought, ah, that's that's not a problem for today. But here we are, and, and it really doesn't feel that far away. So then on the flip side, this could open up new avenues for storytelling. So are there positives that come out of this? Maybe we could see stories told from perspectives that were previously considered too risky or niche with AI-driven analytics, writers, producers, they can get insight into what audiences really want, leading to content that's more tailored and more diverse. Yeah, and it's not just about creating content. There's also the question of distribution. I mean, there's this whole, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality metaverse that's slowly but 
maybe becoming more mainstream. We'll see. Um, imagine watching a movie in a fully immersive VR environment or having augmented reality characters from your favorite show just popping up in your living room. And while those possibilities sound exciting, they also come with their own sets of challenges. Who owns the right to an actor's hologram? How do residuals work in a VR environment? These are issues that the industry, they need to grapple with in the not so distant future. Yeah, so I guess maybe these are the points of the next writers and actors strike in <laughs> say three years once the current deal, at least for the writers is up. Maybe so. I guess we'll just have to see. We we may be writing a very similar rocket ship episode about all of this in just a few short years. I could see that happening for sure, but uh, <laughs> that's going to wrap things up for today. Uh, so for Michael Saka, I'm Mike Belsito, and this is Rocketship.fm.